0: You are listening to Sermon Audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Darkness. It is uncomfortable. brings anxiety, fear. I know I feel very unsettled in the dark. Everybody's wondering when the lights will turn back on, it's in the dark that we feel lost, we get lost. It's actually often in the dark where predators attack and where we end up wandering around. But in the beginning of everything Darkness covered. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. All right, who was uncomfortable? (laughs) A little awkward. Everybody's like, What's going to happen? Like, but. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel in darkness. I mean, we don't, I mean, I know that my girls, they wake up at night and, and we have to have little nightlights on for them. Because there's an unsettledness, even from a young age, that we feel in the midst of, of this darkness that we're experiencing. And it impacts us. Physically, so darkness actually impacts us physically. You ever like wake up in the middle of the night and and, like stub your toe on the edge of your bed because you can't see? It impacts us mentally. So we experience in life these mental seasons of, of darkness. We experience emotional darkness with broken relationships and hurts and habits going through life. And there was a man named Paul years and years and years ago who knew about this darkness. In fact, he uh, was writing a letter to a church that he loved, to a people that he loved, and for the most part, he would have been spending his time in darkness. He was writing this letter while he was in prison. He was unjustly imprisoned after beating unjustly beaten. So, There was a darkness that surrounded him in this moment that uh, made him, uh, I'm sure, feel uh, uh, scared and vulnerable, not knowing what tomorrow would bring. Anybody ever feel that? Ever feel this way where you're like, I don't know what tomorrow may bring and has in store for me. And so you're just feeling like this wave of darkness is overcoming you where your life begins to unravel. But Paul found freedom in that darkness. And we can too. And that's the good news that we come here for today. So although this is a heavy topic, and and if you're a guest today, I want to welcome you. Thanks so much for being here. This is not necessarily normal, but what we do is we teach through the Bible verse by verse. And so I even invited some of my buddies today, and they're here, and I'm like, oh boy, because... As we're reading through the Bible, as we're teaching through the Bible verse by verse, you come up on certain topics. And often, uh, what a lot of churches will do is, because these topics maybe are uh, culturally like questionable, and in our world today, they, like the world maybe says something different than this, churches just skip over them, and they go to like, kind of the next thing. But this is God's word. We can't just skip parts that we don't like or that makes us feel uncomfortable. We, we actually just have to open it and read it and process what God is saying. Because if we're going to say he's our savior, that means he saves us from our sins. But if we're going to say he's our Lord, that means we sit under his authority. So if my kids listened to half of the things that I say, which is normal, like that's not obedience, Like, what's obedience is that they listen to the fullness of what their father says. And he is our father. If we sit under his authority, we listen to what he says. Because what he says will bring us life. It will bring us joy. It will bring us peace. And then there are these warnings. And he says those things will only bring us death and destruction. And we live our lives in this way, maybe just me, I live my life in this way where if it brings me some type of satisfaction in the moment, I will continue doing it. Even if sometimes it's against this. And over and over again in those moments, God reminds me that those things will ultimately bring death and destruction. But his word, his truth, will bring joy and life and peace. And so when we experience this darkness, we experience this in our finances, in our relationships, in our future plans, not knowing what's going to happen. But today we get to look about look at what God says about this. And as Miguel mentioned, there are some heavy topics here. So if there's a child in the room that's sitting with you um, and you feel like maybe um, this is not the right topic for them, um, we do have our kids' ministry is ready to just take more kids. Um, But also at the same time, our culture is bombarding them too. Um, And it is all over movies and it is all over TV and if they're even on it, social media. And so we are getting flooded With this stuff. So it's really important that we also allow them to be bombarded by the truth of God's Word. So let's pick up in Ephesians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, grab it. I want you to hold the word of God in your hand, please, because this is God's word, um, and it's not just what I have to say. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles along the aisles, um, underneath the chairs, so uh, if someone next to you needs one, just grab one. Um, if you don't have one, uh, there's a great app on your phone called the Version Bible app. Uh, so you just type in Bible into your search for apps, and um, the U Version is one of the first ones. I think the, the picture is, it just says Holy Bible. Um, it's a great app to have. I want to start in verse uh, 1, chapter 5, verse 1 of Ephesians, because this is where we were the past five weeks, and this is kind of launching us into where we're headed today. And so let's look at verse 1, chapter 5, and it says, Therefore, right? what is it, therefore? He just had a whole paragraph that he just said. We'll get to that. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God, a task that Miguel had said we are incapable of doing, that's why we need Jesus. We'll get to that. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So how do we walk in this love? We take that, therefore, we go back to chapter four. And this is what he says. In verse 25 of chapter four, he says, we speak truth, we don't lie. In verse 26, we don't get unjustly angry. We pursue peace. Verse 28 of chapter 4, we are generous. Verse 29, we encourage one another. Verse 32, we forgive one another. That's what it means. That's what it looks like for us to walk in his love. We will reveal his love to the world around us if we speak truth and pursue peace and are generous and encourage one another and forgive This stuff, these things will bring life. And then in verse 3, we see it starts with a but. So he just finished telling us all these things that are going to bring life, these things that we are to walk in that will reveal love. Now this is key here. These are the things that will reveal love to the world around us that we speak truth, that we encourage and forgive. That's what brings life and love to the world around us. And then there is a but. Now that but is connected to verse 8. So I'm going to just drop down and come back, all right? So before we get into what are the things that are going to bring death and destruction, I want us to see verse 8, because this is kind of the main idea of this section of Scripture. Verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. In the Lord, that is Christ Jesus, walk as children of light. So notice that he's not saying walk in darkness and walk in light. That would kind of put this visual picture of us of like, Us being surrounded by darkness and being surrounded by light. But these are actually identifying words and phrases that he uses. Look at this. You were darkness. That's an identity thing. You were darkness. And he doesn't say you are now in the light. You are light. This is an identity transformation. That's why we say Christ didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. That's why we say that here. Why? Because this is an identity transformation. You were once darkness. That's what identified you. But now you are light. So when Jesus opened up our eyes, when he saved us, we made this movement from death to life, from darkness to light. And this movement, this change, this transformation of identity, it is complete. When when Jesus died on the cross, he did not say to be continued by Matt. He said it is finished. So his salvation, when we place our faith and trust in him, is past, it is present, and it is future. You are no longer darkness, you are light you have been transformed, you have been redeemed. And now he's saying, so walk in this, believe this. I love what an old theologian says, Jared Ford, he says, sanctification is the art of getting used to our justification. What does that mean? So justification is the verdict where we have been deemed not guilty before a holy God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Sanctification is this process where we are becoming more and more like Christ. But that process is us remembering over and over again what our identity is in Christ because it's already complete. So all of a sudden, the devil throws something at me and says, hey, do this. This is gonna make you feel good. And I'm remembering in those moments, no, 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 I have already been saved. I'm remembering in those moments that Christ already died for my sins, that I am no longer darkness. I am now light. So it's in those moments that my sanctification, where I'm remembering what the finished work is on the cross. So this is good news, that it is complete. So it's not behavior modification. It's an identity transformation. But then there's an intense warning. Now, this warning is very different than the warning that pops up before a movie. Anybody see that warning? Anybody ever read that warning? Right? No. Right? It's just the thing that pops up. That's when you go get your popcorn or like, you know, get your, refill your drink. But, but it's actually this intense warning that's not a uh, temporary thing or something that just applies in a certain situation. This is an eternal warning. This is something that impacts all of eternity. Let's pick up in verse 3. And I'm going to read through verse 5. Ephesians 5, chapter, or, chapter 5, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure Or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Here we are seeing these six areas of darkness. And these six specific areas that bring darkness and death into our lives that Paul is trying to warn us about. In verses 3 and verse 5 we see this word sexual immorality. The Greek there, and we use the Greek word because that's what the original text was in, and so we go back, and what they do is they take that Greek word not only in um, biblical context and scriptures, but they look at actually all the writing of that day and see what that word meant in that culture, in that context. The word is pornea. Same word that we begin and derive pornography from. It means to sell off the surrendering of sexual Purity. Promiscuity of every kind. This is marital unfaithfulness. And I want to be clear here this marital unfaithfulness is both pre and post marriage. I think often when we look at marital unfaithfulness, we think that only happens after we're married. But no, marital unfaithfulness is actually something that's both pre- and post-marriage. And we need to define marriage because of the world that we live in today. Marriage is between a man and a woman. That's how God created us, and we're going to get into that. So there are certain things that this is going to bring up and stir in us that we have to look at. First is premarital physical acts. Often, we, we, uh, in dating relationships, we end up asking this question, how far is too far? But if we keep asking the wrong questions, we're going to get the wrong answers. Nowhere in Scripture do we see God guiding us to get so close to sin before stepping over the line. He tells us all throughout Scripture to run, to flee, and to get away from it. So the question we should be asking is not how far is too far before I, oops. The question is how far can I stay away from that line so that I can continue to be pure to the marital bed, continue to be pure in heart and in mind. And so this is all physical acts. Engaging in sexual acts before marriage is not actually love. And this is usually the banner in which people put this under but I love him, but I love her. And I love what Tim Keller says on this because he, he, he speaks on this in such a beautiful way, but he says engaging in these sexual acts marriage is not actually love. It is selfishness. It's a desire to fulfill your own needs and wants and the other person's own needs and wants above God's without a God-centered commitment to one another if you've struggled with this, if you've failed in this area, you are loved. God loves you. We love you. And there is redemption. And I know that, because I know that firsthand in our marriage. There is redemption in things, in in our lives, pre-marriage, the things that we have experienced in our lives. God will redeem those things. If we go to him and allow him to shine his light in the midst of that darkness. And then we look at pornography. Pornography is another thing that is swarming and destroying our culture as a whole. Four, over 4 million websites that are out there that are pornographic. 4 million. In a search today, there's going to be over 68 million people searching for something pornographic. That's over a 1,000 a second. It is running rampant in our world today. And that doesn't include the illusions of pornography that we see on TV and social media. And often we can put that under the banner of, hey, but it's safer. It's better. It's not actually real. But we forget that these things, looking at these things, are actually, uh, there's been brain studies done. And these affect the neurotransmitters and the brain in such a way that's similar to someone that is using cocaine and LSD. It releases these chemicals in our brains that are breaking these neural pathways that are affecting emotions, that are affecting our learning, and that are affecting our bonding. And so it's not just something that's like, oh, we'll do this instead of this. God is saying stay away from these things, not how far is too far, what's the thing that I can do so I don't have to do that. It's stay away. And then the last thing is homosexual acts, including the LGBTQ lifestyles that our world is promoting and lifting up in our world today. And if you struggle with this, or if you are living this out again, we want you to know you are loved, that God loves you, and he created you, to fulfill a purpose for him and his glory. But it is not love to withhold truth. And that's so important, and that's the thing that all week I've been stirring and wrestling in my heart and my mind because I know that there are people that have come in here today that don't believe this. They're, they're listening to what the culture is saying to them, and they're saying, no, to be accepting, you have to accept what they're doing and who, who they say they are. And, and what I'm saying here is that God's word is clear, and if you're going to sit under his authority and his word, we have to understand that he speaks what is love. And what is loving is to speak truth. It is not accepting to lie about what God says. Because after this intense warning, when he speaks of sexual morality in verses three and five, he says this in verse six Let no one deceive you with empty words. That is what our world is doing today. Let no one deceive you with empty words. What the world is saying is, God is fine with this. Be who you want to be. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, defines homosexual acts. This is Romans 1, 26 and 27. God gave them up to dishonorable passions For their women exchanged natural. And this is an important word here. This is the one that people try to shift and change and alter. Natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. There are people, some of them being church leaders, who are trying to alter and change what this is saying. When you look at the words natural and nature in the original text, it means what is by God's design. And the word in verse 5 and this is, I want you to know this, I want to equip you with these things. The word in verse five, see how in verse three there's these practices, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, but then in verse five it kind of shifts to this like noun that is defining something, sexually immoral, impure, covetous, that's, that's a noun that's used. They take this word sexually immoral in, verse five, because in the original text, it actually speaks um, in the same context of that culture and society of that day um, as a male prostitute. And so because it says that, what some people have tried to do today has said, oh, it's just speaking about that. If a male is prostituting himself, then that's what it's speaking about, but nothing else. But what we do is we have to go back to Genesis. In Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see that God made male And female, he made female and took her out of the male, and then he brought the female to the male, and he said, It is good. That it is good is the blessing, listen to this the blessing of God upon that union. And so when we look at this, we have to understand the full context of what Scripture is saying from Genesis all the way to Revelations. And this is spoken about a lot. And so we are looking at sexual immorality with these premarital acts, with pornography, with homosexual acts, anything that brings marital unfaithness between a male and a female. And going down the path of dismissing Scripture on these topics wipes away God's authority and his purpose in our lives and we can't do it and it's hard because there are people that we love that surround us in our families and as our friends that live in these things and believe this is good and this will bring blessing upon them and there might even be some here today that struggle with this and God died for all of them he wrapped himself in human flesh And he came down, taking, this is not a sin that is at a higher level than any other sin. We have to, what we've done sometimes in the church is we've elevated this. When God is speaking about sin in scripture, it is singular. When we speak about it, we make it plural. And so when we pluralize it, all of a sudden we begin to like map it out, right? Lies, cheating, stealing, ooh, adultery, right? We, We throw these big murder And then by doing that, we kind of stack them up. And we say, okay, lying is here, murder is here. But when God sees sin, he sees sin. It's everything that he knows will bring us, his creation, his children, death and destruction. And he hates that. He does not want death and destruction for any of his children. And so it's not this this levels of sin. It's actually sin altogether. And so we're not going to elevate this above anything. But I think in our world today, we do need to define it and talk about it because it is here that it's saying that these things will lead us to death and destruction. And he goes on and he talks about impurity, this physical, moral uncleanness that happens. It's actually the word picture here is like touching a leper or a corpse that brings this uncleanness in that um, society back then. If they were to touch a corpse or a leper, that would mean that that came on them. Uh, Our family, we just got five chickens yesterday, right? Our girls have to wash their hands after touching those chickens because those chickens live in filth, right? They can get diseases from that. And that's what this word is speaking about, impurity. Anything that we touch that is unclean, putting our hands on that, that will bring death. And then covetousness, idolatry, craving the things that are temporary, lusting after our neighbor's husband or wife, Our neighbor's house, our neighbor's car, our neighbor's boat, our friends at school, their new clothes, their new watch, their new kicks, their new iPhone, whatever it may be. It's this deep longing and desire for what we do not have and looking at those around us and seeing that they have it and it causing within us this like deep, deep bitterness and anger. And often, some of these things that we are talking about, they produce a feeling of what we think is love. So, so we get the new iPhone, and we have this like giddy joy. Yay, look at what I have. And we think that, oh, yeah, that's... We get into this new relationship, and we're in this new relationship, and we're like, oh, yeah, I feel this love. But if it falls in lines with sexual morality, impurity, covetousness, John MacArthur says, these things are not actually love. They are the perversion of of love. Can we take a breather? It's a lot. I've been sitting on this all week. I know you're kind of coming in here and you're like, I didn't even know what I was walking into. But I've been sitting in this because this is God's word. And in verse four, he says filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, there goes almost every show you watch on Netflix, right? Every time we're sitting there in and in an office quote or a new girl quote or a friend's quote comes on my mind and I say it, and I'm like, ooh, that was iffy. But it's kind of the world we live in, right? It's the banter, it's the joking, it's the sarcasm. But what this is referring to is the things that are overflowing out of a heart that is giving itself to what is impure and covetous and sexually immoral. Matthew 12, 34, for out of the mouth, the heart speaks. We are flooding ourselves today with all of these things, not even realizing what it's doing to us internally. As your mom's flipping on Instagram, seeing all of these moms that have their kids perfect, right? Oh, they got all these perfect pics of their kids doing all these perfect things and their lives just look so great and oh, they just went to Montana and oh, they just went to this place and oh. Like, and you're, you're just, and, and bitterness is just welling up. Why can't my husband have a job that we can do that? Why can't, why can't my kids act that way? I can't even get a picture of them. I try to get a picture of them and they're all, right? And we, we get these, these things just welling up inside of us. It's out of the the mouth, the heart, begins to speak. That's what it's speaking of. This this filthiness and foolish talk and crude joking that comes from the sexual immorality and impurity and the covetousness. And these all culminate. Look at at how these culminate, all these things. Let's let's look at these different things. Verse 3. They must not even be named among you. Verse 5. It has, uh, these that partake of these things have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse six, B. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, here's the good news. There's an identifier there. Sons of disobedience. If you believe that Jesus Christ Is your Lord and Savior, you are no longer a son or a daughter of disobedience. That's what we go back all the way to the beginning where I said it is finished. This is where we breathe the sigh of relief because in the beginning of Ephesians, he is speaking to those that are his children, children of God. He is speaking to those that have been saved, those that have been redeemed. Those are, are past things that have happened where God has redeemed you, where God has justified you because of what Jesus did on the cross. So there is this level of... Because of who Jesus is, even if these things are being wrestled through and struggled with in and through our lives, even if these things have defined us at one point in our lives, if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, these things no longer define you. What defines you is that you are a child of light. You are a child of God, and you can rest in that. And for some people, they will work through these things quicker than others, but for some, they may last for years and years and years. There are addictions, and there are hurts, and there are habits, and there are hangups in our, th- through our lives that we are dealing with that take longer times than others. But the good news is, is that God gives us a path on how we are to deal with these things. If, if you're sitting here today, and you're like, I can't wait to get out of here, right? If you're sitting here today, and you're like, man, like, like, he is reading my mail or, or I don't like what he's saying and I hate this. The good news for us today is that he doesn't leave us as don't do this, live in this way, and then good luck. There is actually a clear path here, but let me give you a warning. like it's, it's not something that is natural to us. And that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit in us good news is Jesus, when, when he was here on earth, he was talking to his disciples, and they, he said, I'm gonna leave you, and they're like, oh, no, and he said, no, 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 it's better that I leave you, because I'm gonna send to you a helper, the Holy Spirit, that is gonna dwell within you, and it's gonna help you do these things, because we're incapable of doing them on our own. You are incapable of overcoming these things if this is, is something that you're struggling with on your own, so here's what we see here. There's a command, there's a path, and there's a promise, Command a path of promise. Here we go. Here's the command. In verse 7 Do not partner. That word partner means partake. We also follow this up with verse 11 that says, Take no part. Do not partake in these things. If, when Jesus is speaking about lust in Scripture, he says, Um, You say don't lust or don't commit adultery, but I say that if you lust, then you are committing adultery. He's trying to magnify the fact that sin is sin um, and that God is God and to be in relationship with God, there needs to be 100% holiness, and that we're never capable of that. That's why he's given us Jesus, because Jesus has accomplished that holiness on our behalf. And, and so sometimes as humans, we think that we can do it on our own. Sometimes as humans, we think, okay, I'll just muster up, and I'll white knuckle it, and I'll do it. Um, and then he goes into this like, thing that we don't like and it says if you are lusting and, and committing adultery and doing these things, um, I would even include sexual morality, impurity, covetousness, um, you are to cut off your hand and you are to gouge out your eyes. And that like is like, whoa, that's extreme. I'm not gonna do that. There are certain things in our lives that need to be cut out. Oh, my phone's down there. If your phone is the thing that is causing you to stumble, Cut it out. If it's a computer, cut it out. If it's a relationship, cut it out. So we may not have to chop our arm off, right? Because we probably would need to set up an appointment with our doctor and like make sure that like we've got like some sutures and stuff going on. Um, I feel like the fire call for that Jose is going to get on. That's going to be crazy. Um, but but there are things in our lives. There are things in our lives that cause us to live in this darkness and so we have to cut it off and so he's saying don't partake in these things if there's a place that you continually go to that's causing you to stumble in this way you have to cut it off that's what the command is it's it's this command to stop doing these things it's not that easy though right those, those are, these things aren't the things that you could just say, okay, I'm not going to do, like, but I need my phone for work. I need this for work, right? Go get a flip phone. Or there's things that we can do, and there's, there's things that we can set in place There are great things that we could put boundaries on our phones and our computers. There's a ton of technology out today. But here's the path. Here's the path that God gives us, and I think that this is important, because this is a path that we don't like to take in our world today. Verse 11, expose it. Uh, I took a photography class in college. Yeah, I did. Um, just one. Um, I needed three credits. I had, I had the option. Um, so you would take these pictures on a thing called film. I don't know if you know what that is, but stuff called film, and then you would go into what was called a darkroom, and then you would get these, like, you'd shine some light on these, these photos, and then they would be exposed, and you would see what the picture was, right? That's what this is like. We the, let the light shine in these areas, and, and so we see in John 1, right in the beginning, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was the light of men. So allow Jesus to expose these areas of filthiness and crude joking and foolish talk and sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness. Let the light shine on those things. And this is why it's so important let Jesus shine on things. That's why it's so important to live in biblical community with people. Christians should be a safe place because we are all redeemed sinners. Nobody is better than anybody else. And so I should be able to go to my friend Ethan and talk to him about things that I'm struggling with because he should be a safe place because he has also been redeemed because he is also a sinner. That's the type of church we desire to be, to be a safe place to come and allow this stuff to be exposed in a way that we can find true healing and help. And so if you're looking for like, what does this exposing look like? First off, confess to God. God has given this beautiful thing called confession. And often we we, we will confess to others before confessing to God. Sit before God alone by yourself and confess to God. Confession is I am sorry. Repentance is a turning away. You're going in one direction, I'm doing this, and it's a complete 180 turn around. go back towards the cross, go back towards Christ. So there's a confession and repentance that you do before God. Then, in biblical community, you confess to other gospel-centered people. So these gospel-centered people are people that are going to point you, they're going to point you to Jesus. So in the moments where you confess, they're not going to be like, I can't believe you. No, they can believe you because you're sinners. Like there's nothing that, like you don't know the stuff that people have come and shared with me. And guess what? It doesn't surprise me because we are all sinners. I have had friends who are lead pastors in churches confess things to me and deal with things that are seen in here that we shouldn't do. It doesn't surprise me because we are all sinners. I am not above sinning. And I need people around me that I can go confess to so that they can help walk me through the right process. And sometimes, and I've needed this in my life, sometimes we need to get help, professional help, people that are trained in knowing this word and guiding us through this word and counseling us. That is good. Like, I don't know why in our culture, like, we, we were talking to some people the other day, and we do premarital counseling. For all couples that are getting married, we do uh, we meet with them at least six times before they get married. And someone in, like, I think it was, like, the second or third time they were meeting, they were like, wow, we thought that counseling was just for people that were really messed up. I'm like, yeah, we all are. <laughs> we all need this. Like, no one's above this. And so we need to sometimes get help so when you confess to somebody if I go to Jose and I'm like hey man I'm really struggling with this and Jose's like man like I want to walk with you through this but man this is maybe a little bit outside my wheelhouse but I know I have some people I have some friends maybe let's go talk to Tim let's go talk to Bill let's go talk to Miguel and and let's let's get some accountability around you and walk through these things maybe there's a, a counselor in the area that we can refer you to that you can start working through some of these hurts and these habits and these this anger and this bitterness and all of these things that we wrestle with So we get help. So we confess to God, we confess to others, and we get help. Ultimately, God is after your heart. He's not after your behavior modification. Often we want to fix the problem without fixing our hearts. God wants you to know you are loved. He is your Savior, but he's also your Lord. And so we obey what he says. And then there's a promise, and this is where we're going to end. Here's the promise in verse 14. And I love this. This is so beautiful. He goes back and he quotes some Old Testament passages. And he says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. (laughs) Oh, this is so good. Wake, o sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We all sleep, right? I mean, we all go to sleep at night—the most vulnerable place we are ever in, right? There have been so many times that I've woken up to uh, one of my girls with their frizzy, crazy hair at night, like just standing at me, staring at me, right? And like, so—you ever been sleeping? Have you ever been sleeping? and you've been jolted awake by something. Are we, are, are, are we there? Like, so you're laying in bed. It, you, you're vulnerable there, right? Because one, you're in the darkness, but two, you're, 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 you have no ability to defend yourself while you're sleeping. And then you hear a boom. What happens? What do you do? First, you open your eyes. Secondly, you sit up. And then third, you move. Why? Because there's an imminent danger that is present. It may be a dog or a kid in the other room, but something's happening, right? For some of you, I know we're in Florida, you reach for the sidearm, but hey, we're not going to go there, right? So, So when you hear the noise, the imminent danger, you open your eyes, you sit up, and then you move. Awake. Look at this. Awake, O sleeper, open your eyes. And arise, sit up. And what happens? Christ will shine on you. This is what Jesus does. This is what God's word does. It should jolt us awake. It should cause something in us to check ourselves and say, I'm in imminent danger. If we are partaking in something that God's word said will bring us death and destruction, we should awake when God's word is spoken and when we read it and when the Holy Spirit speaks. So we open our eyes, we sit up, we get ready, and then we go and we move. In the finished work of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we move That's the good news that we have this morning. Christ died so that you and I can be awake, that we can arise, and that he can shine in and through us. Amen. Can I pray over us? Jesus, first and foremost, if I said anything today that is not of you, God, I pray that you would forgive me And that you would redeem it. And that your Holy Spirit would cause caution. But God, everything that was spoken about today, we see in your word. And so God, we lay that before you and say, God, hey, we struggle here. We struggle with these things. We know that these areas may bring darkness and death, but over and over again, God, we run back like a dog returns to its vomit. We run back to these things. And so God, I pray that today would be a moment where you wake us up. That you would cause us to arise and that we could walk in the newness of life, in the newness of our true identity, which is your son, which is your daughter, one that is fully loved. There is nobody in this room that you did not die for, God. There's no sin in this room that the cross cannot overcome. So, God, I pray that we would rest in that. And if there's somebody here today that is really deeply struggling with these things, and we know that by chance that's probably a true reality, God, I pray that they would feel comfortable to come and find the fullness of restoration that they would find healing, that they would find redemption. God, you say, come before your throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we will receive mercy and grace in our time of need. God, thank you. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.